We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
the King is born to us to overcome. Exile is born to us, a virgin son. This child was born to give his life for us. Good news. Good news. Oh, glory in the dark, in the shadows lie, as told in the quiet, in the dead glory, glory, send the angels the highest, at last the King has arrived.
Jesus, you keep it. You are good. 
Well, good morning, everybody. Live streamers, by the way, if you're watching on live stream, whatever platform you're on, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it is, thanks for joining us today. It's good to have you. Uh, tithe and offering, it's, uh, we'll take that up at this time. So if you need a tithe and offering envelope, uh, you can wave your hand around, or they're in the chairs uh, in front of you. Also, uh, one of the ushers has the uh, prayer cards. So if you have prayer needs, we'd love to pray for you, join in faith with you, whatever's going on. Uh, you can fill that out and give it to me after service, and uh, we'll make sure that we uh, are praying and joining in faith with you. That's what those cards are, so you can wave your hand around if you need one of those. Um, but your tithe and offering, we appreciate your giving and your faithfulness, as we believe that God 
will do with your giving beyond and above anything that we could imagine because that's what God does. And um, uh, this time of year, different times that we're able to help some families out with things that are going on. Just so you know, some of your giving goes towards those kind of things and, and all of that. So anyways, let me pray over your tithe and offering. If you have something to give today, you can bring it down and put it in these baskets up here. Lord, uh, we thank you. Continuation of our worship, that we worship you with our giving, Lord. A response to your faithfulness, to your goodness, to the blessings in our lives, Lord. As we always know, as we were singing that song today, Honey from the Rock, it says that in the Psalms. It's about the provision of God in our lives, Lord, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, I pray as we give today, uh, the stewardship of the house uh, does what is right with what comes into the house, Lord, and, and, and it's uh, advancement of your kingdom in all things that we do, including our finances, and we thank you for that wisdom in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. amen. So if you have something, you can bring it down. Uh, some announcements real quick before we get into the word today. Um, don't forget, uh, during the month of December, we do not have Monday night church-wide prayer. Normally, uh, we have Monday prayer from 6 to 7, but not in December, but we will be back uh, kicking off uh, church-wide prayer in January with our 21 days of prayer. And uh, every January, we kick off with 21 days of prayer. It's an important time for us as a church. We consecrate our year in prayer, um, and uh, we'll kick that off on January the 8th. And how that's going to look and what that's uh, going to be about, we'll let you know as, as we get closer to that. So anyways, no prayer tomorrow, but we're back on track in January. Uh, Joy Fellowship is today. That, that is for the older folks in our church. You don't have to be older to be there. They welcome everybody. But 5 o'clock today, uh, right here, it's, it's a potluck. Bring some food in. They're also doing a white elephant gift exchange today. So uh, they're going to have some fun. I don't know what white elephant means to you, but white elephant means to me some, something that's laying around in my basement that I haven't gotten rid of that I'm planning on getting rid of. I bring. So if it's, it doesn't have to be that, uh, but you can have fun with that. That's today at 5 o'clock. See Bill and Patsy, wave your hands around. So if you have questions, you can see them. Um, also, uh, don't forget, this coming Wednesday night is our youth hangout Christmas party. Uh, that's for 5th to 12th grade. It's, it's during the entire church service, usually on hangout nights. They're with us for worship, then they go down. But it's going to be the whole uh, church service. And they're doing an ugly uh, Christmas sweater party. So um, if you don't have something like that, just wrap yourself in some lights and tinsel and whatever, and you're good to go. So uh, that's this Wednesday. And then next Saturday is our women's uh, cookie exchange. The ladies are getting together from 2 to 4 o'clock here, and it's going to be a cookie exchange. So there's a sign-up at the back, by the way, uh, so they can let you know based on how many sign up, how many cookies to bring, and all that kind of stuff. So if you have questions about that, you see Margo. Margo, wave your hand around so they know you. And let's see. Don't forget, we do have our Christmas Eve service at 6.30 on the 24th, which is a Saturday. And then Christmas is on a Sunday, and we have church. So if you don't have a family gathering, we're getting together, as always, and have church as normal at 10 a.m. on Christmas morning. So, and by the way, if you're new with us today, uh, we'd love to connect with you. And, and the chair in front of you is one of these cards. Fill that out. Give that to Margo again after church. She has something for you, but we'd just love to, to connect with you, and that's what this is about. So if you fill that out and get that to us, we'd love to meet you. All right. How many brought your Bibles to church today? Anybody? Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm, I, know, I know we put it up on the screen. That's okay, but I love when you bring your Bibles. And I know some of you say, I brought my Bible. It's in here. That's okay, too, as long as this doesn't distract you when you try to read your Bible. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So I, I can never 
use my phone as a Bible. You may be more disciplined than me. But what happens to me is if I'm reading my Bible on my phone, then I get a text or something comes in and I get distracted. So I usually do this, and then I use this. That just works better for me. Anyways, John chapter number one is where we're at today. And we're in our uh, second week of our Christmas series, He is Here. By the way, Merry Christmas. Can you believe Christmas is two weeks away? Oh, my goodness. I think, I think it's starting to move along, and, and, and uh, the end of the year is coming quickly. Um, but he is here. That's the title of our series. Last week, we spent the entire service in the book of Isaiah with the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 9 and 11, I think 41 or 42, and then 61, uh, talking about the big picture work of the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus come? The inauguration of the work of the kingdom of God. The anticipation that Israel had for their deliverer and what that meant, this messianic figure they were waiting for. And Jesus came. Uh, he inaugurates the kingdom, then puts the stamp on what the kingdom is like with his death and certainly his resurrection. And now we are in anticipation of his coming again. For Christ is coming, he had died, but Christ is risen, Christ is ascended, and Christ is coming again. How many believe that? And we anticipate his return. But Isaiah chapter 9, one of the places we were last week, along with John chapter 1 and, and uh, down through 17, are two of my favorite passages of scriptures in the Bible. I love John. I love his writing, John 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And John chapter 1 is what they would say is a highly Christological um, look at Jesus. Um, we started off our service with the video sometimes in Nicene Creed. The part about Jesus in the Nicene Creed, a lot of it was drawn from John chapter number 1. Jesus is our Savior. Amen. And there is no other way to be saved. Do you believe? But how Jesus saves us is important. It's not just he's our Savior, but how did he do it? Now, I know this past Wednesday night... We spent the entire service kind of talking about that and what that means and the importance of understanding how Jesus saves us. But the beginning of John, this gospel, and remember the gospels are the witness accounts of the life of Jesus. They're, wit they're written to be a testimony of that, but are also written to uh, kind of introduce Jesus to wider audiences. That's what the gospels do. Gospel, that word is proclamation. Okay. John, in what he begins uh, his gospel with, and it gets into the life of Jesus and the stories about Jesus, he begins with a high Christological look at Jesus. In other words, in John chapter 1, there's a lot of what we would call theology. Because he's introducing Jesus to a wider audience, and in, in a nutshell, he wants you to know that Jesus is God. Okay, and, and this, this was a big, a big thing. Um, and, and, and to put this out there to the wider audience, John is letting us know that not only is Jesus God, but he ends up being our Savior, and there's a purpose to what he did and how that he did it. So today's service, what I'm going to do is we're going to read John chapter 1 through uh, 17, chapter, verses 1 through 17, and we're going to talk about these verses as we go and the importance of why John opened his gospel the way he did. 
let's just start. John chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, or was in the beginning with God. That is some big statements right there, and it says a lot. Now, first of all, God, John calls Jesus the Word. That is the description of Jesus, the Word. And, and your Bible is probably capitalized. It's the Word. Now, John and, and the other writings of the New Testament are written in Greek. And the word behind the word in Greek is logos. And John draws on this word because in Greek philosophy, uh, logos was seen as uh, be the principal center of the universe. That's how they would think about it. Uh, the, the thing that sort of is in authority. And John is drawing from Greek philosophy, and he says, okay, you talk about and try to figure things out and find explanations in this. I'm going to take that and bring it because that's what Jesus is. He is the principal center of the universe. He is the word. And certainly that, that carries a verbal connotation. I've heard this said, and I, I think if you really think about this, it'll strike some things to you. Jesus is the word. Jesus is what God has to say. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go here. Jesus is what God has to say. He is the Word, capital W. He is the one who is the principal center of all things. So in the beginning was the Word. So in other words, John is starting off right away. He's, he's drawing uh, us back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. He does this on purpose. John right away is equating Jesus with God, and that's a big deal. But in the beginning was the word. In other words, John is saying that Jesus is eternal. That's Christological. That's theology. He's eternal. He's preexistent. The full Godhead, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has been active for all time. So in the beginning was the word of Jesus was in the beginning. And he goes on to say, and the word was with God. Now, he, he's getting real technical here. He's with God. In other words, they're the same, but they're distinct. And here comes the paradox of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three, yet one. One, yet three in person, and distinction in personality and working. So Jesus was with God. He's always in existence. But he is in personality and work. He's separate. But then he goes on to say, but he was God. So Jesus is God. This is big, big statements from John here. So Jesus doesn't, wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a guy that said some nice things. He, he just didn't say some good things to the people of Israel and try to bring them back to God. But Jesus is God. So, so in our worship today, we worship Jesus, did we not? Why? Because he's God. So we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John right away gets this thing going that he was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, something that goes with this, and, and I think important, maybe we understand this, 
When Jesus was conceived in Mary by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was not created in that moment because he always was. You see that? All that happened in that moment is God took on flesh. But Jesus wasn't created. Jesus is not a created being. But Jesus is preexistent. He's eternal. He's part of the God. He always was. But in the moment of conception of Mary, with the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, God took on flesh. And, and John's going to get to that in a minute. But here begins our understanding of how does God save the world? God takes on flesh. Now, now here's another way. Let's keep going. That John equates Jesus with God, so we're understanding who Jesus is. Verse number three. All things were made through him. That's creation. Without him was not made, not anything made that was made. So he takes you back. In the beginning was the word. He takes you back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. And he's putting Jesus right there with God in that moment. Even though the, the revelation and the author of Genesis didn't write that, John is putting Jesus there and said, Jesus in him and through him at creation, all things are made that have been made. Jesus is the author of life. And, and it, I'm not having points on the screen today like we usually do, but if you are taking notes, you write that down. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. And underline it, circle it, put a star by it, highlight it. Jesus is the author of life. He's the author of life and things in creation, but he is the author of what? New creation. For new creation is the result of the fact that God has saved us. And the working of new creation that he will finish as we anticipate his return. Remember, the Bible proclaims, it prophesies, that all things will be made what? That's the work of Jesus. Jesus is always putting life in front of us. All right, verse number four. Let's keep going. In Jesus, in him, was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 5, this is what we were talking about last Wednesday. The light shines in the darkness. I love this. I love this. Again, highlight this, underline this in your Bible. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. That's Jesus. And the darkness has not overcome it. There are some translations that have... The darkness has not understood it. Same thing, the darkness can't comprehend it. The darkness can't deal with it. The darkness has not overcome it, and guess what? The darkness cannot overcome it. Do you believe that? Listen, uh, listen I, I, need, I need you to hear something this morning. Jesus, in, in talking with Peter, said that on this rock I will build my church. Remember, this is the revelation of who he is. Jesus was having a moment with Peter, where Peter was proclaiming, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not do what? Can't do it. Now, listen, I know that we're worried about a lost world. We should be. That's the call of the gospel. That's the call of taking the gospel to the world. 
Your worry about a lost world should inspire you to take the gospel to the world. But I know we're worried about evil overcoming and, and working its way in and having its way. The gates of hell will not prevail against the revelation of Jesus Christ and the church. The darkness, listen, the darkness cannot overcome the light. Don't worry. What you see in darkness around you, let it inspire you to take the gospel to the world, but don't be worried about the darkness overcoming you because it cannot. Do you believe that? Stand firm in that. The darkness cannot prevail. That's the light of Jesus. And by the way, the darker it is, the lighter and brighter the light is. Isn't that true? Have you ever been out in the pitch dark? Now, I've been out some nights when, when the moon and the, and, and the stars are out. And you can see pretty well. You can see at least a little bit distance. You can make things out. But I've also been outside when it's been pitch black dark. And when you turn a light on, flashlight, or, or I don't know what kind of, even on your phone, that little light on your phone, it, it, it brightens things up. You can find your way. Things are exposed. The darker the darkness is, and we worry about that, don't, because the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. That's why we take Jesus to the world. Because he is the light, and the light shines through us. Jesus is the light of men. By the way, that's why I keep telling you, there's no other way to be saved. There's no other institution that we can save people by. You can't institute the things of God other than through Jesus. He is the light of men, not anything else. That is the only light that the darkness can't overcome. We try to do it other ways. It's not going to work. Jesus is the light. And he's the true light. He's the only light. He proclaimed about himself, I am the light of the world. He says that later in the Gospel of John, as recorded. I am, Jesus is the light of this dark world. Why did Jesus come? Because this dark world needed light. This dark world needed a way to be saved. This dark world needed a bright light to shine in its darkness. To expose sin to expose the need for reconciliation, but then also shine the way salvation can come. That's the light that shines in the darkness, that the darkness cannot overcome. And, and notice it says, the, uh, later it talks about Jesus being the true light. Yeah, he is the only real, genuine, not false, not misleading. He is the only white light and the only way to be saved. All right, verse 6. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. Now, we won't get into John the Baptist, but let me just take this and say this. Scripturally, the greatest calling of any prophet is to bear witness to the kingdom. Let me say that again. 
the greatest calling of a true prophet, as we see the Old Testament scriptures dovetail to Jesus in the work of the kingdom that goes forth, the greatest calling of an anointed prophetic mantle is witness to Jesus and his kingdom. The prophetic ministry is to turn the hearts to God. Now, I understand we see a lot of prophets out there saying a lot of different stuff and all this different, okay, fine and dandy, but the true prophetic anointing that we find from Jesus onward is a call back to Jesus and the kingdom. Now, let me say this along with that. Do you realize that you bear a prophetic calling in a certain way in your life because you're called to bear witness to Jesus and his kingdom? See, John the Baptist, his role in the kingdom was to prepare a way for the coming of Jesus. And, and there was uh, a certain way John comes before him, then they're working simultaneously, then John is removed from the scene, and it's just Jesus. But John the Baptist is calling, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's called one of the great prophets we find in the Bible. And his message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. The role you play in the kingdom is such a role. Are you one who is helping prepare the way for people to see and to hear and to grab hold of the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus? Are you doing this? This is our calling. That we are ones that help bring the light to this lost world that needs it. Okay, we'll, we'll get back to that another time and talk more about that. Verse number nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, here, here's, here's something that I find so fascinating. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So he comes to his own creation, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and talking specifically about Israel right there, and his own people did not receive him. And, and we see this played out through the Gospels, and we see, see it played out through the book of Acts, that he was rejected by his own so much that they crucified him. They turned him over to the Roman state to be killed. But yet that's not the whole story. Yes, he was rejected by man, but yet... Verse number 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, in other words, the bloodline, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see that? All that you do is believe in him. Believe in the light that has come into this world to save us, and you're brought into his kingdom that we're children of God. How many of you this morning are thankful that you count yourself as a child of God? Let me see. Amen. You're not a child of God because you're in the original called people of God, the, the Israelite nation. You're not of that, that bloodline. Well, you may be, but I'm not. I'm a Gentile. I'm an outsider. I wasn't originally called to be in the people of God. 
but yet because I believed on his name, I'm brought into the family of God. And I'm an heir of God. Heir of what salvation brings to my life. Heir of all things being made new. That's the light. And that's what the light does. Verse 14. So the question is, how does this play out? How does God save us? Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see that? Let's stop there. The word became flesh. Now, if you read the Gospels, those who were around Jesus as he began to, to teach and, and, and uh, do the work of the kingdom and the signs, the miracles that, that pointed to the kingdom at, at hand, they, they knew Jesus. Because remember, they're going, isn't this the carpenter's son? They had no problem understanding his humanity. They struggled with his divinity. Now, here we are 2,000 years removed from that. We don't have a problem with the divinity of Jesus, but we struggle with his humanity, I think, sometimes. We're flipped. The word became flesh. So in other words, if you're close enough, you can poke your neighbor. The word became that flesh. You can poke your neighbor. It's okay. Wake them up. They're falling asleep. There you go. The word became flesh. Jesus became a human being. How does God save us? This is amazing. Why would God do this? How does God save us? He comes and he's, he's, he's born as a baby. I, I love it if you really think about it. In all the different ways that Jesus could have come and to whom he could have been born. He could have been born in a prosperous financial situation. In other words, rich. But he wasn't. Joseph and Mary were ordinary folks. He, he could have been born in prestige. In other words, he could have been born as part of the house of Herod the Great. Those in, in control of, 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 of government. But he wasn't. He, he could have been born in... in the religious family, maybe in the house of Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, he, and, and been born in the religious structure, but he wasn't. He, he was born to ordinary folks to the point that where they were trying to find lodging, there wasn't any room, and they ended up in a place most likely there were animals there, and he's placed in a manger, which is like a trough. Not in any prestige. Why? Because the kingdom of God, the gospel, is for everybody, not just the rich, not just those in control of religious or governmental things. He is for everybody. He works the fringes, and the kingdom of God works from the outside in. That's the kingdom. That's the good news. The very first people, as we'll talk here in the next couple of weeks, the very first people that know of the birth of Jesus are a bunch of shepherds. Again, ordinary folk watching fields in the middle of the night, and born to Joseph and Mary, but yet with it comes the proclamation of the angels. This is how God saves the world. Good news and great joy for all of the people. The word became flesh. You know, you know the Greek behind that, it, it, it uh, carries this connotation. 
God came and he pitched the tent to dwell temporarily among man. That's sort of what the Greek is saying. He pitched the tent, took on flesh. God came right in the middle of the dumpster of our darkness to save us. And he didn't have to. God loved this world so much that he got proactive. He took the initiative. He came to us. God is not a distant God. But his love for us drove him right to us to the point he took on human flesh and lived a human life just like we do. Experiencing everything that we experience. Why? To save us. So he can inaugurate the kingdom. The things that he taught are so important. What he did is so important. And then the emphasis of it all, he died on the cross. Only then to raise from the dead. This is the work of God and how he saves us. He takes on humanity in order to save humanity. Matthew 1.23, you don't have to go there, simply says, He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's keep reading here. The middle of verse 14. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God you think about the weight of the glory of God. It's the honor of God. It shows his nature, his magnificence, his splendor, his beauty. Do you realize you see that in Jesus? The wonder of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, the beauty of God is in Jesus. And, and as John is saying, look, we have seen this. This is reality. This is real. And he comes, and I love what he says here. He comes and he's full of grace and truth. Now look, those have to go together. Grace and truth. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace without truth is, is, is lost and there's no change and there's nothing it takes you to and it just leaves you as you are. That's what grace does. But truth being, this is the way. This is the only way. This is what God is doing. And it is the judgment of God. And it is the life of God. But truth without grace is just harsh. I think sometimes churches, we, we operate in one or the other. We're all grace and no truth. We're all truth and no grace. But Jesus comes full of both grace, unmerited favor, and truth. But there is a way. And he brings them both. That we would learn how to not only receive truth in his grace, but then as we take the gospel to the world, we project it not only with truth, but also grace with it. Notice how John talks about the glory of God, and right there in the same breath of a sentence, the glory of God connected to grace and truth. The wonder and the majesty and the splendor of God can be found in the simplicity of the offering of God, of grace and truth. That this is true life. Okay, let's keep reading. 
verse 15, John bore witness about him, John the Baptist, and cried out, this is whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. I love that. We have received grace upon grace. It's overflowing grace upon grace. How many of you live in grace upon grace? Anybody? It's just the overflowing, unmerited favor of God. Grace upon grace. We receive this because of Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Now, now he's kind of grabbing a hold of, of some of his readers that, that uh, are uh, Israelites. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. If you want to write some verses down and, and, and go to them later. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, read those later. It talks more about that Moses and the good work he did, but Jesus comes in, he's greater. He's not adverse to the work of Moses, but he is the fulfillment, therefore he is greater. Okay, so I love this. Now watch this, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Now, John is drawing back to what he knows in the Scriptures, and what they know as the Scriptures are our Old Testament, the writings of the prophets, and, and, and the, the five books of the law, and all these different things. No one has actually seen God. As a matter of fact, they would tell you, if you have seen God, you would die. You wouldn't make it. For the wonder and the power of God is just too much. But no one has seen God, but then watch what he says here. The only God, now watch this, the only God, no one has seen God, but the only God, who is at the Father's side, this is, uh, after the ascension of Jesus, has made him known. That's a big statement right there. In other words, John is saying this, watch this. No one has seen God, but now we have. No one has seen God, but Jesus, this is who God is. And this is what God is like. That's what he's saying. So in other words, you can see the entirety of what we find in with the scripture of the Old Testament, which is what they would have had. Now, obviously, when John's writing this, there's no New Testament. All they have is the witness of the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. John is saying this. You can read all of that, even have great revelation about God because of it. But whatever your picture of God is like, here in Jesus is what he's really like. And in any way it differs from this, bring it to this. This is what God is like. Because in the beginning was the word. He's preexistent. And the word was with God. He's God, but yet distinct from him. As a matter of fact, he was God. This, Jesus, is God. See how this is big theological statements. You, you may have never seen him. You thought you didn't see him. You thought you could even live if you saw him, but yet we have seen God. It is Jesus. And this is what he's like. The things that he taught, this is what God is like, and that's what God is saying. The things that he did, this is what God is like, and this is what God is doing. Amen. And the work that he did is how we are saved. Listen to me, that's Christmas. God came in flesh as a baby born. That's Christmas. 
Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Because God has come. And what I love about Jesus and the story about God coming is, all of a sudden, this God that, that you think is way out there, or depending on how you believe, maybe only resides in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. But then nobody really has access to it, just a high priest, and nobody can really go in there. He can be seen distant and cut off, non-personal, no intimacy. All of a sudden, God came, localized, interacting with people. Did you ever, did you ever think that Jesus had a, a fun moment with his disciples and laughed? You, have you ever seen like the old Jesus movies and he just always walks around just straight faced? Have you ever seen those movies? No, no emotion whatsoever. Whenever he walks somewhere, the crowds just kind of part. He just kind of walks through them. And that's not what Jesus is like, I don't think. As if he had no emotion in life. They never really interacted with people. I don't believe that. I believe God came and had intimacy of relationship. That he laughed. The Bible says he cried. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We know he had emotion. We know he showed it localized, intimate, personal, real. That's what God is like. Because even though Jesus bodily ascended, the Holy Spirit was sent to dwell within each of us personal, intimate, localized, here. That's Christmas. God loves us so much to be that close to us. Now, now, again, that he comes and he enters this dumpster of humanity. We see that big picture, but he, he came to enter, to enter the dumpster of my humanity. Because I was in darkness too, so he showed up and lightened my life. And, and just like the whole of everything, he didn't see humanity as a whole and go, oh my gosh, what did I do? Let's do the whole flood thing again. Is there anybody righteous? Just one family. I'll just throw them in a boat and we'll keep them. You see, he did that and said, no more. He didn't kick us off and let us to our own fate. But even in the midst of seeing all of the darkness and how darkness was growing and how darkness was seeming to reach into everything. And it was very dark. He decided to come to it instead. But not just the whole of humanity, but me personally and you personally. For everyone that would believe has the right to come into the light and become a child of God. I, I wish it was kind of dust. I thought about hitting the lights and putting down the blinds and putting a little light up here. Actually brought one. To see that in this dark room, this light has an amazing effect. It will light up everything in your life. It will expose the sin that needs to go, but it will show you the way to live. Because what happens is this light 
it's not only in us, but we follow it. And it shows us the way, the truth, and what life is really about. Amen? So, so Christmas, again, I was telling you last week, I love the whole season. I love the decorations. I, I love uh, a lot of times people are a little nicer in December. I don't know why. Maybe we should keep this. But um, the whole shopping thing, I love giving gifts. I, I love the whole business. But first and foremost, Christmas. God has come. And he is the light of the world that the darkness will not overcome. Amen? Do you believe? Are you in the light? Let's stay there. Let's, let's see what he will do as he shows us what it means to live in the light and be children, as it says in other places in Scripture, children of the light. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Just, just, just worship him for a minute from your seat where you're at. Oh, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Right where you're at. In Jesus' name. Just speak, speak some praise out to him. Speak some worship out to him. Oh, Jesus. You are worthy. You're the glory of God. The wonder of God. The excellence of God. The love of God demonstrated that you came to us and for us to save us. In you resides the authority of God. The darkness cannot overcome it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we adore you. Christmas song says, come let us adore you. We adore you. Oh, Jesus. Lord, for all the other things that, that try to grab our attention, maybe certain things that try to grab our allegiance, We push those things aside. That in you is life and there is no other. You're the one and only. Thank you, Jesus. 
just worship him for a minute. We don't, we don't have to rush out of here. Just, just for a moment. Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus. If you'll just learn to wait on him. If we will just learn to wait on him. We will rediscover that he's not a distant God, but he's intimate with us. If we'll learn to wait on him. He remind us who he is. right here with us in the middle of our everyday. He'll remind us that he is God. The great. The wonderful. The all-knowing, the all-powerful. And he'll remind us that we can commune with him and be with him and talk with him and have relationship with him if we can just learn to wait on him. Thank you, Jesus. something I wrote down in my notes for this morning that I didn't, I didn't say, but the Holy Spirit reminded me of it. Hope is always found in the darkness. Hope is always found in the darkness. So here's what I want to do. This is how we'll close out today. How many of you, and I want, I want you to raise your hand, how many of you could use some hope this morning? Anybody? What I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you to come down because I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask anybody that didn't raise your hand you want to, come help me pray. And what I'm going to do is as they come down, you are dismissed to go. You, you can head out, be blessed. We'll see you Wednesday. Next Sunday morning, we'll keep on in this series. But, but I want to close out with prayer. So if you raise your hand, you say, I could use some hope today. Come, come on down. Let, let, I want to pray with you. But everybody else, if you head out, we love you. We believe in you. We'll see you Wednesday night.